Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Rafael Coyasa. Rafael is the licensed commercial real estate agent specializing in income-producing properties. Rafael is also the author of six books, the host of several successful virtual and in-person real estate meetups, as well as co-host of the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. He's passionate about helping his clients achieve their business and financial goals through commercial real estate. Well, science, I bring you Rafael Cayasa. Welcome to the show, brother. What's going on? Thanks, man. I, I mean, I love the enthusiasm that you read that that bio in. So no, I'm, I'm honored to be here, man. I've, I've been following you for a while through LinkedIn and we were part of the LinkedIn challenge together. And, you know, again, you, you would just bring a passion to the commercial real estate industry, which I love, you know, surround yourself with those types of individuals. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. I, I was telling you before we got started, this is the interview I've been looking forward to all week. Everyone's <laughs> been telling me I got to get you on. I've, like you said, we're connected through the LinkedIn challenge, dude. I am so pumped for you to kind of break down so many aspects of how much you guys have grown over the last year or two. Yeah, I'm excited, dude. So thank you again for coming on. You know, for the people who don't know who you are, I mean, if you could take just a couple of minutes to kind of give your background and how you got to today. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. I, I started, I was born in Northeast Italy. My dad's uh, was in the Air Force, uh, a physician in the Air Force, uh, was at Station Aviano Air Base where he met my mother. So I was born in Northeast Italy, moved to Germany, uh, we're in Baumholder over there and then moved to Shape, Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers Europe, which is NATO headquarters. And I lived there for about five years and then moved to the United States when I was 14 years old, went to high school in Southern Arizona, ultimately went to Arizona State University and studied engineering and economics. And then I got into the software business. So I was a software implementation consultant for a large software company that implemented different systems for government agencies. And that took me to Washington, D.C. I lived in Puerto Rico for two years on a big software tax project and then got moved over to Louisville after Hurricane Maria hit. Um, it put the project on Puerto Rico on hold and I was, became, came to Louisville on a more, it was first temporary and then eventually became permanent basis. I transitioned away from the software business back in mid 2019 and jumped into the commercial real estate brokerage space. And I've just been doing it ever since. And, you know, that's kind of a quick overview of me and, uh, my career thus far. And, you know, I'm excited to, you know, dive into more, uh, granular detail throughout this podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting beginning and I'm sure huge change for you. I mean, moving here at 14 years old to a completely different country and now, you know, beginning in the software and then transitioning to real estate, like looking back on that transitional period, I'm, I'm curious, what was kind of that initial draw to real estate? Why, why become a broker? Why become an agent? And I guess specifically commercial real estate agent. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I get that all the time. Uh, you know, everyone kind of when they hear that I was in, you know, engineer and 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 the software business, they're like, "Why would you leave that?" It seems like that's the the place to be. And it was. I mean, I really enjoyed myself. I really enjoyed the the, the intellectual stimulation that came along with being in that profession. 
Uh, you know, the collaboration piece in the software space is also very much something I really enjoy doing, but I was always very entrepreneurial. You know, I had a, I had a small catering company in college and out of college, I managed a restaurant for a bit and I thought I was going to eventually just start restaurants and own, own them. Uh, but after managing a restaurant for a little bit and realizing what goes on and how, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a grind, man. Uh, and you really have to have a passion for it. And and I did not at that moment in time realize that, and I realized that, that it wasn't something I want to do long-term. And so, you know, I went more of the corporate route, uh, and especially on the consulting side for quite some time. Uh, so when I was looking at different opportunities, the reason why I chose real estate is because my mother is a pretty successful residential agent in Southern Arizona. Uh, she's been in the real estate residential space since 2009. Uh, and she's been, you know, she, she was the one who kind of encouraged me even to get my license when I was in college. And, you know, when, when your parents tell you to do something at that age, you don't really listen to them. And then, you know, come, come full circle back in mid, you know, early J- January of 2019, I started looking at different opportunities. And that was the, the opportunity that, that presented itself. I started looking both on the residential front and the commercial front. Uh, and I realized that commercial just spoke to me more. You know, I, you get to deal with business owners, investors. Uh, I come from an engineering background, so I'm very much a numbers person. And that just seemed to be the the place that you needed to be if you, in fact, were, were wanting to do something like that. So that's kind of what drew me into the brokerage side. And then as far as like the investment piece, I mean, ultimately, the goal for a lot of people to get into brokerage is to ultimately invest in these types of properties. So, you know, I thought it would be a great way for me to learn by transacting and essentially learn with other people's money and, and people that I admired and looked up to and potentially could, you know, try to emulate in their investing career. So that was the logic with which I used to determine that I wanted to pursue the commercial real estate route. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And I think that's a lot of start for a lot of people where it's like, hey, I'm going to become an agent or a broker first. And like you said, learn the business, how to structure deals, how to put deals together. And then you have a front row seat with investors and how they you know, manage, asset manage, speak to investors and stuff like that. So that's super interesting. I think that's really common. When looking back also, like closing that initial knowledge gap Again, you know, when you're an early agent or, or broker and maybe on your first investment deal, what were some of those steps you were taking to close that early knowledge gap? I mean, mentorship or meetups or I guess what steps did you take? Yeah, that, that's that's also a great question. So I actually started educating myself prior to even getting into the business. Uh, obviously, we all know Bigger Pockets. Uh, it's a big, uh, inv- the largest investor website probably in the world, if I had to guess. Um, and I started following them back in like mid to late two th- uh, 2017. Uh, and I always wanted I wanted to try to invest in real estate at that moment in time, but I was in Puerto Rico at the time, and you know when I was looking for you know opportunities to potentially buy a resident a residential property, I just didn't know it was a very transitory type of role, and I just didn't know if I was going to stick around in that area for a long period of time. And so when I moved to Louisville, uh, I started realizing there there is a unique opportunity here to potentially build something outside of what I was doing before. And so I started seriously looking at opportunities to buy some sort of property. I ultimately thought it was going to be a single family home, but I ended up actually buying a fourplex and living in one of the units and renting out the other three. So ultimately house hacking the property. And so that was my first foyer into investment. And, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, property management, uh, filling the spaces, renovation, et cetera. And so that was, you know, my first foyer. And then as, as far as the actual commercial real estate space is concerned, uh, just getting that mentorship piece is huge. I mean, I started interviewing with different brokerages and uh, really spoke to the brokers of those brokerages. And I, kind of got to feel who would be the one who 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 would be willing to be that, you know, mentor. Uh, so if I had a question, I, I don't want to make them I didn't want to feel like I was a burden to someone if I had a question about something. And so ultimately I chose the Grisanti group uh, here locally. It's a boutique brokerage and Paul Grisanti, our broker, is just a stellar individual. And you know, anytime I have a question, I can always reach out to him and he puts me in contact with the appropriate people if if he doesn't know the answer. 
And he's also, you know, just been doing it for a long period of time and is willing to kind of share his, his knowledge and, and his time with developing those individuals below him. So. Yeah, I think the mentorship is so crucial. And I've had phenomenal mentors, both in the military and in the real estate. And it's like, I forget who says it, if it's Tony Robbins or Charlie Munger, someone it's like, hey, success leaves clues, like find someone who's, you know, maybe in Paul's situation, it's like decades ahead of you, I'm picturing, but you know, find someone even just five, 10 years where you want to be down the road and stick to that person. And, you know, you know, pick their brain and ask them questions and stuff like that. So that's super crucial that, you know, Paul phenomenal. And I'm sure one of the top brokers in Louisville took you under his wing and has really mentored you. That's super powerful. Um, where do you guys, you know, broker deals at? And I'm, I'm curious, Raphael, is it just in Louisville? Is it across the country or what markets do you guys focus on? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the bulk of our transactions occur in the Louisville metro area, but we've done deals outside of Kentucky. We've done deals in Indiana, especially across the river. We do a good amount of work with industrial uh, facilities and, and land as well. Uh, we also have done business in Tennessee. We've done business, uh, interestingly enough, and in, in even further south, I believe in Georgia and Alabama as well. We've had clients that have owned like franchises. Uh, and they had these properties in other states that they wanted to be able to offload. And so my broker did uh, secured, you know, the, the brokerage license for those those states to be able to offload those properties. And so we've done business outside of just Kentucky, but I would say that the bulk of our our business is done within the, you know, immediate vicinity. So you're talking Indiana, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, and then Tennessee. Yeah, it's something that's interesting. I think about the Louisville market and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong here. The city is expanding from a population growth, job growth point of view, but you can't build any more there. Is that correct? Because of like some type of obstacle or water obstacle or something like that? Or, or can you expand on that more? Am I completely sure. like this in the market here or is that kind of? No, no, it's it's definitely expanding. No, we're definitely expanding. And it's and it's a unique situation because Louisville itself is on the river and yeah, we're on the border. Problem. We're on the border between Indiana and Kentucky. And so the growth is occurring outward, but part of it, the growth's happening in Indiana and the other part of the growth is happening on the Kentucky side. And so it's kind of a unique situation for business owners too, because we're always competing for, you know, you know, the state is always competing with, with Indiana to incentivize people to come on which side of the river. And so, you know, it's kind of, kind of creates like this healthy rivalry, but it, but for the immediate Metro area, it's, it's, it's a boon for us because it's like, okay, well, we, we have two different, you know, states, right next to each other. You know, Louisville obviously is the largest city in, in Kentucky. And so, and it's, it's, it's from a logistics standpoint, it's one of the better uh, cities in the country. I think you can access 58% of the U S population within a day's drive. So it's it, from a, from a logistics hub, it is, it is quite a, uh, you know, we have pretty strong uh, industrial backbone here in the city and it, it's evidenced by, you know, UPS being here, FedEx has another like second headquarters here as well. So it's been, yeah, I've really enjoyed Louisville since I've lived here. And I've been here for about four and a half years to be uh, just to kind of illustrate, you know, to the, to the audience. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. And I know like you hit the nail on the head with how centered it is and what a great hub it is for so many other metros throughout the country. So that's, I think that's super powerful and just the population growth. And I, I didn't know like there's like competition between which side of the river you're on. I, I think that's pretty cool too. Um, when you guys look at like the asset classes that you and your team focus on, is it mostly multifamily? Do you guys do storage too or, or mobile home parks or warehouses or what asset class in commercial real estate are you the most bullish on? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So we're a boutique brokerage. So we do a little bit of everything. I would say our most heavy focus is probably on the retail and industrial end. And we do a lot in the land space. So we know a lot of you know developers in town. Our, one of our agents in 
in the in, in our office, Nick Grisanti, who just so happens to be the son of, of Paul Grisanti. He was like the number one land broker in the city last year. Uh, so he had, you know, he's done deals with these large industrial developers. Uh, also, you know, on the residential front, like large single family home communities, multifamily communities, et cetera. Uh, you know, and then on the industrial front as well, they've done, you know, quite a bit of, of, of deals as well on my end, you know, and, and Paul too, he does a lot on the retail side. So we've done shopping centers, you know, from small strips to, you know, three, like 3000 square foot uh, strip centers with like one or two tenants or three tenants to all the way up to, you know, 20 to 30 to 40,000 square foot retail centers. Uh, one, a deal I did last year was in the, you know, 25,000 square foot range and included like seven or eight tenants on the front, which were different retail uses like the bakery, nail salon, uh, smoke shop. Uh, we had a boba store, um, you know, and, and barbershop, et cetera. And then in the back, we had a pediatric clinic um, that, that, you know, housed a ton of parking and everything. So for that particular area within Louisville, it, I mean, it, parking was at a premium and this plot of land had, you know, a hundred parking spots or something like that. So it was a, they weren't from a tenant standpoint, you would never want to leave that space because you're not going to really be able to replicate that with any level of certainty. And not only that, the rents that you would be charged would be significant as well. So, you know, the, the, the thing that I love about the retail space in particular is that you have to analyze it holistically. So with that particular opportunity, for example, there was eight or there was like 10, eight to 10 tenants. And each of them almost, I think there was like seven lease templates. So only two or three of the, the, the tenants had the same lease templates. All the rest were different. So you have to create these lease abstracts, get in there and dig in and get a really good feel for you know, what the leases say. And then obviously each individual tenant is going to be different because the credit worthiness of a mom and pop shop versus a hundred franchise unit operator is going to be quite different. And so you know, I think it, it is much more anal- from an analytical standpoint, you really have to get in there into, into the weeds and get understanding of exactly what you're looking at. And so for, I mean, as an engineer, that's kind of what I like to do, just get in there and, and figure it out. And so I'm very bullish on the retail space in particular, because I, I also think that there's going to be an equilibrium point that's met. I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's like a retail apocalypse, maybe the big box stores, like department stores and such, you're going to see a re- reclassification or restructuring of that. But Long-term, uh, you know, physical retail is is here to stay long-term. It's just going to restructure and, and change just like anything would would within, you know, over time. So, yeah, I've been so excited all week to ask you about retail. And I've got like a couple of questions. I just want to, you hit on so many great points here. I don't want to gloss over it because I've had so many people reach out. We've had retail investors on the show. So many people reach out and they're like, Jesse, I can't, like, I'm not bullish on retail because of what happened during COVID and stuff like that. Shops or what's happening with Amazon right now. I read an article. I can't remember if it was Forbes or something where it's like the death of the mall will be Amazon. And stuff like that. I mean, no. what are your thoughts on that, Raphael? You know, coming out of COVID, the retail space, and now also the rise of like Amazon and, and companies like that. No, for sure. And 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 I, I definitely don't take that lightly. I definitely think there will be some restructuring. I think over time there will be, you know, absorption of uh, you know, the the total retail percentage of individuals who are buying stuff online. I think that's going to continue to decrease for the foreseeable future. But at some point there will be an equilibrium point. Again. We are social creatures. We like to get out there. So there's going to be situations where you want to go to a physical retail store to be able to pick something up. And then from there, you can go to your restaurants or whatever else. Now, it may not be those big, massive central malls that we were kind of used to. And I definitely think that those are kind of going to be a thing of the past. But as far as physical retail is concerned, there's definitely a significant amount of utility with having some sort of physical location. There's a reason why people pay you know, a significant amount of money to be located in a high visibility, high traffic count. Easy access, easy access location. 
I mean, there is a significant utility and you're even seeing this even with Amazon, like look at Amazon, they bought, you know, uh, they bought, uh, uh, Whole Foods, they've they've invested in physical storefronts. And the reason for that also is because returns are quite expensive. So anytime you buy a product online, let's say, you know, let's say you buy an odd-shaped chair or something and, and they send it to you and maybe it's the wrong chair, how much does it cost for them to receive the product when they made a mistake? It cost them a fortune. And so a lot a lot of times you're seeing that that they're losing a significant amount of money in on these types of returns. So as Amazon, you could say, okay, instead of us accepting these returns and having them send them via you know, UPS or FedEx, let's have a physical store. You're seeing fit, like Amazon four-star, you're seeing all these different types of other physical concepts that, that Amazon's opening because now I can say, okay, you know, I received this physical product and, you know, it's not what I wanted. I can go to the Amazon store to return it. And then, oh, wait, by the way, while you're here, there's 50 other products that you could potentially buy. So what's the upsell opportunity there? Pretty significant. And, and I, I was actually on a podcast two days ago uh, with Shlomo Aaron, uh, and he was mentioning how you know, the Kohl's and Amazon have had a partnership recently where Kohl's will accept the product as it for from Amazon. So like if you, for example, you just don't want your, your product for, for some reason, you can take it to Kohl's as a return. And then Kohl takes advantage of the fact that since you're here, here's all these other, you know, products you can take. So the upsell opportunity is real. There's a reason why Kohl's would be willing to do that because Amazon's one of their biggest competitors. Why would you do that unless there is some sort of value there? Yeah, it's super powerful. And even when I was home this past, um, holiday season. It's like, dude, I'm seeing the Amazon four-star stores all over the place. And I'm like, what does this mean for the future of retail? Like Amazon itself is now buying up storefronts to sell its goods. And I had no idea about the upsell potential in that. So I'm, I'm really glad I asked that. I had no idea about that. Um, super interesting. And yeah, we get so many questions. It's like, Jesse, you know, what what's safe within the retail space? And like how I kind of view it is like, you know, can we, can you invest? And I think you were hitting it before where it's like, dude, get more in the weeds with the analytics. What are the store selling? What type of products is it? Is it competing against Amazon? Is it not? So I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, I've had a couple of questions about this. People have reached out and maybe there's someone listening right now who may be mom and pop uh, retail, who's 10, you know, maybe not 25,000 square feet, Raphael, maybe they're like 10,000 square feet. And they're thinking of like taking, they're thinking of selling off market. I'm really interested. You're the first broker that we've had on here. Like the person out there that might be thinking about selling off market, what are some of the disadvantages or maybe some of the advantages, even if you want to highlight on doing that? And I guess, what would you tell them? So you mean like you're, you're, you're the owner of a, a 10,000 square foot strip center and you want to potentially offload that as from an off-market standpoint? Is that what you're referencing? Correct. And not being represented or signing an exclusive with an agent or broker. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and I think, again, I think part of that is that in this environment, since money is very cheap, I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing if you're trying to maximize value. But if you want to just streamline the process of getting things done and you know you, you have a relationship with someone who you know can execute, Maybe that's a different story and you could save a little bit on the on the brokerage fees. But I think given the the current environment, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it on the multifamily end. I mean, you you bring a, a property, quote unquote, to market. You don't even need to. I mean, you you essentially go to the broker that has the the quote unquote listing and they're gonna get 20, 20 offers. Um, and again, I'm not saying that's that's always gonna be the case for maybe a 10,000 square foot center, but if it's located in a solid area and it has pretty solid tenants, you're gonna get a lot of activity regardless. So, you know, I I, I guess that would be my advice. Uh, I wouldn't and and I've and I've had conversations with this sellers a lot in, in this situation. It's like there there are some instances where it's like you know if you already have a, a pretty solid relationship with someone else and you believe that they can execute and you know you feel like it's a fair price and go with it. You know, but but overall, I mean, especially in this current environment, maybe that's not going to be the case in the next two to three years. But 
you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's an attractive opportunity, there will be a lot of people out there. So marketing it to the broadest, you know, number of people will maximize your price as a seller. And that's putting your seller's hat on that. I'm not, I'm not talking as a broker. I'm just, I'm putting my seller's hat on. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was curious your perspective on that because I've been asked that as well. It's like, Jesse, I don't want to pay the fees, but it's like, I agree with you. There is so much opportunity where, you know, your brokerage could market that to so many other sellers where the seller could get a lot more money for their property, obviously. And money is so cheap right now. They kind of transition into like more analytic stuff. I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. Nobody has a crystal ball, Raphael, but where do you see the commercial real estate market as a whole from a macro level transition? here within the next 12, 24 months. Obviously, we're entering, I would say, kind of the post-pandemic world, kind of. I, I don't know yet, but I mean, I know that I think it's 40% of all the US dollars in circulation were, were printed in the last, I think, 20 or 19 months now, which is insane. You know, all the stimulus is in the economy. How do you see that affecting commercial real estate? And, and where do you see it from a macro level of transitioning here over the next year or two? Robusta Move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life, good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. Yeah, and, and that is that is that is the ultimate question, right? And and, and it's kind of interesting too because you, you know, you you can break down commercial real estate into multiple different types of commercial real estate. You got the hospitality, you got multifamily, you got retail, you got it industrial, and you got development, you know, the d- developers have their own challenges when it comes to sourcing materials and and uh, you know, and labor costs, etc. As far as, you know, where I see it going, I mean, the Fed's already announced they're going to be raising rates over the next year, you know, and that's 3-4 times. So there's there's somewhat of a sense of urgency from people who want to buy these types of properties. And so I envision asset pricing prices continuing to rise within that 24 to 20, uh, 12 to 24 month period. I, I still think we're, you're going to see asset prices rise at a pretty ag- aggressive rate. Um, you know, as far as other opportunities are concerned in, in the residential space, I mean, we're we're pretty far behind when it comes to providing housing, um, whether that's on the you know actual single family front and as well on the multifamily side as well. So I actually had Bo Beery, who's a big time multifamily broker in Florida on the commercial real estate uh, 101 meetup group that I run. And he was talking about the deficiency in, in, in housing creation over the last several decades. Uh, I think he was saying how in order to meet up, keep with demand uh, that we would have to produce, I think, 400 three hundred and forty thousand uh units or or homes uh in order to keep up with the demand for you know that that product type and and we haven't been able to do that since like the 70s or 80s so we're we're way far behind when it comes to providing housing for the the broader populace and so you know again multifamily and then single family housing development going forward is is all is is still going to be a very very strong uh property type to be in 
Um, you know, as far as retail is concerned, I think we're going to see, you know, Amazon and other distribution companies kind of eat up a little bit of more market share. But at some point, we're going to, like I said, reach an equilibrium point. And then at that point in time, you're going to start seeing these types of businesses that that are, quote unquote, resistant to these types of, of, of uh, you know, the distribution companies, a lot of service based retail is what I like to say, or or essential goods retail like the, the store, the the grocery stores and drug stores, et cetera, you're going to see those, you know, kind of still maintaining a strong cap rates uh, over time. And so as far as hospitality goes, I don't know a lot of, about, you know, hotels. I really haven't done a lot in that, in that space, but I mean, they can't go much lower. So <laughs> I, I imagine if you bought, if you bought it, you, you probably wouldn't be a bad, it wouldn't probably wouldn't be a bad idea to buy hotels right now. So. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question was hospitality. And then also to kind of cap this all off, it is like a super big kind of ambiguous question. But I mean, any thoughts on kind of the future of office and where that might be heading? I mean, I know so many people, I have so many colleagues who went remote and now they're staying remote in mm -hmm. even post-pandemic world. I mean, what have you seen on your end in regards to office? Yeah, that's also a great question. So we interviewed a gentleman named Cody Payne, who's a big time, a big, uh, office broker in Dallas, uh, Fort Worth. Um, and so we were kind of asking him the same question about this because you're right. I mean, it, there's a very real possibility that a lot of businesses realize that, Oh, we can be just as efficient from home. And so why go back to the office? And a lot of these office leases, especially for large corporate tenants are, you know, five, seven, 10 plus year leases. And so you don't, you're not going to see the changes of the pandemic manifest themselves until several years into the future. And so I actually went to a commercial real estate, uh, commercial real estate conference in New York city in October. And uh, it was a called the commercial real estate tech or the CRE tech conference. And a lot of these large brokerages and REITs were there and they were talking about the office uh, market as a whole. And what they talked about is that, you know, you cannot, it's very difficult to replicate the collaboration that an office environment provides. So I think long term, what we're going to probably end up seeing is we're going to end up seeing, you know, a, a hybrid approach where it's going to have like, you know, two to three days in the office. And then, you know, the other the other time period of time you're going to have, uh, you know, at, at home as well. And, and especially for a, a very high performing environments, the career career advancement piece is also going to be a big, a big player as well. Um, you're not going to be able to replicate, you know, your 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 FaceTime in front of your bosses, in front of the leadership. And that also could be an issue because, again, if you want to advance in your career, you want to be in front of the, the leaders that are going to be ultimately making decision on your future. In order to do that, you're going to have to have some form of show uh, FaceTime and be able to showcase what you're able to do from a leadership standpoint. So I think long term, uh, just to kind of round out everything, it's going to be more of a hybrid approach, you know, two to three days in and then one, two or one or two at, at home. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I completely relate to the career advancement piece. I mean, even in the military, like so many people talk about like having FaceTime with your boss and, and senior leaders, you know, so many, they decide promotion rates and stuff like that. It's, it's super important. I didn't think of that, which is really interesting. But, you know, my buddy in New York City, I have several colleagues there and they're like, yeah, like the company, you know, shut down the building. They found out they don't have to, you know, pay rent anymore. We can all just do this remote. They're now cutting expenses by doing that. So it's really interesting. But I mean, you brought up the great point or who you just interviewed, Cody Payne. I, I'm going to watch this episode right after this because I'm really intrigued by it. Um, discussing the effects that, you know, people going remote, but these leases are five, seven, 10 years down the road. So we might not see an immediate effect. Um, really interesting for sure. I, I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, kind of transitioning a little bit from the real estate space and what 
something you also, I think, do a phenomenal job of and crush is the branding content production piece. And you, you specifically, I think, dominate LinkedIn with what you post and how you promote your podcast and stuff like that. You know, for just from like an entrepreneur standpoint, Raphael, what are some of the key things that you think go into branding and creating content on a daily basis? Yeah. And then that, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, and all, and in, in all the podcast episodes we do, we try to ask the guests regarding their brand building efforts, because in my opinion, your personal brand is the most important thing uh, out there because, you know, whether you like it or not, you have a personal brand. Now, whether you control it or someone else controls it is the big question. So, you know, I can, we always challenge people say, look, you, you need to be doing something, whether that's, you know, physically being there from a meetup standpoint or creating digital content via podcast or YouTube or something else like that. TikTok's huge. I actually love TikTok as a medium. Now I've been experimenting with it because it is one of those, uh, you know, one of those mediums where you can create short bits of content that people consume, consume pretty rapidly. Uh, but, but as far as the, you know, the content building piece is concerned, it's all about consistency. And, and you know, uh, as well as anyone with this podcast, you've been able to, you know, grow and expand so quickly. I mean, you've been doing a phenomenal job with this, but it's all about you know, being consistent and creating systems to be able to support whatever mission you're trying to, to accomplish. And so in my case, you know, I started off just with a YouTube channel. Um, you know, I started creating, you know, once, once a week, I'd have frequently asked questions that I would, that I would answer, you know, just random commercial real estate questions. So I'd put up a phone and just in, like record myself giving an answer to these types of questions. And then I started incorporating, you know, the commercial real estate 101 meetup a after the pandemic hit, I tried to find a way to figure out ways that I could differentiate myself in the market by, you know, doing something digitally because we didn't have the opportunity to actually meet in person. And so that's where the, the, the inspiration for the commercial real estate 101 meetup came to be. So I started reaching out to people all across the nation that had different skill sets in the commercial real estate business. And I just interviewed them about their experiences. And we started growing that pretty quickly. And at this point now we have like 1200 followers on LinkedIn. And, you know, our last, last meetup, uh, we had 450 people tune in via zoom. So, you know, it's, it's kind of taken on a life of its own a little bit, uh, through it. And it's been, but that's been two, almost two years in the making, you know, and that's the consistent effort over time that adds up to massive results. And that's one of the books that I read the, the compound effect that kind of, you know, change my perspective on on how to approach your day to day life because all it takes is a few actions every day, over time, every single day that add up to big results. So I, I don't know if you want me to take it. What what direction you want me to take it? But you know, I, yeah. I'd be happy to take it whatever direction you want. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so many great points. I think consistency. I think people, when it comes down to launching a podcast or a meetup or whatever it is, they get down on themselves when uh, I'm just picking this up. The first week gets 10 downloads or your YouTube channel gets two views and one of which is your mom. You know what I mean? People get down on themselves, but listen, this is a long-term play. Being consistent, providing great content that adds value to people is really, I think, the base level success to creating a thought-leading platform. But so many people can't, you know, they treat it like a sprint and they should be treating it like a marathon. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's super powerful. And I'm, yeah. I'm curious, I mean, from this meetup, that's something that I'm like, I think that's the next step for me is creating some type of meetup. Have you guys generated business from actually launching that meetup, which is insane. You guys are getting 400 people on some of these Zoom meetups, 1,200 followers on LinkedIn. You know, what's what are some of the effects that you guys have had, I guess, from the podcast, from the meetups, from the other things you guys have been doing? Yeah, no, and 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 again, I'll say the 450 is kind of abnormal. That was the biggest one we've ever had. Um, so I don't want to make it seem like we do it every week, but you know, we've been getting easily 50 to 100 people every single meetup the last you know several months, and so you know, I think it's is slowly but surely growing. But 
Uh, as far as things that, that, that I do, I mean, again, meetup meetups are all about consistency. So people have to look at the, look forward to something. And so what I try to do and what I've been doing, you know, just the last week or so with my VA is we've been scheduling out guests for, you know, three, four months. So we got, we got all our guests out to, I think almost April. So people can look at the, the topics or when they go to the page and say, Oh, this sounds interesting. I'm going to register for this. And then once you, the registration piece is also important. So since these are Zoom meetings, they have to register and provide their email address. And what what happens when you get that email address? You put it in your your whatever your 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 Mailchimp or whatever drip yeah. campaign or whatever else, and you keep reminding people. Two days before we send out an email, the day of we send it an email, and then people actually show up to the event. And there's actually more people that end up showing up than actually registered. Then you take those emails and keep doing that. And we've been able to build up almost you know I think we're at 2,500 emails. Now, just through that one meetup, you know, then we have other, you know, meetups that we run as well, which add on to that total. So, you know, that's how we've been able to do it. As far as generating business is concerned, I don't know if it's been a direct generation of business, but from a trust factor, again, you don't know what your, your efforts, which efforts result in you ultimately doing business with someone, you know, I've had people reach out to me regarding, you know, commercial real estate deals here locally because they saw a YouTube video or, you know, they somehow got a copy of my book or, you know, so you don't know exactly where it's coming from. But again, the brand building piece is huge because everyone's going to look up your name. Like if, if, if they, if you come in, if they come in contact with you or someone tells them, Hey, you should look up this guy. When they look up your name, what are they going to see? They're going to see your podcast. They're going to see your LinkedIn. They're going to see all these other things. So what was exactly the, the, the result of them doing business with you? You don't necessarily know, but since you took control of your personal brand and were committed to it, then you know that ultimately resulted in that business. So, so I don't, again, that's kind of a roundabout way of saying, I don't know if it's directly led to business, but I know for a fact that it's, that it's, it's helped with the brand building piece, which ultimately does lead to business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's incredible. And just for you guys to be able to grow it that fast, that quick, I mean, I'm a huge believer in the drip campaign, you know, getting emails continuously, you know, following up with people weekly. I mean, you guys are doing it the day before the day after or the day of the day after. I mean, super powerful. What you guys are doing. It's incredible. This is like one of my goals for 2022. So that's why I wanted to ask you that. Um, Kind of the, as we're getting ready to round out here and finish up, I, I love talking mindset stuff, Raphael. And again, you guys are on track right now to do the biggest year yet. You guys have so much success compounding right now. From a mindset perspective, you know, I'm interested. Is there anything that you do on maybe a daily basis? Or I don't know if you write down your goals or if you have routines or something like that. Like what's going on inside your mind on a day to day basis to be compounding this much success? I'm curious. Yeah, no. And, 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 and I think the key word there is compounding. Uh, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in not seeing the immediate result. Um, and so, again, if, if you haven't read the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, I would highly encourage you to read it. You start realizing that all you have to do is just a couple things every day, and then it adds up to massive results. That's the same. That's the same logic I applied. I've written six books at this point. I'm almost. I'm like started my seventh, and I'm about eight thousand words into my seventh. So, and that's all from 250 to 500 words a day. That's it. It, and, and it all adds up to massive amounts of, of you know, results in, in, in a variety of different ways, because in reality, I'm probably not going to become the next JK Rowling. And I, that's not my, my goal, but you know, I've been able to write six books and what comes along with being able to write that many books and edit that many books, you become a much more effective communicator, both in the spe- speaking and also writing. And then I joined you know, a Toastmasters organization, which is a public speaking organization. It teaches you about you know, how do you present in front of people? How do you capture people's imagination and attention? And that, I've, I've been part of that organization for six years. 
So what do you think that over time that builds up to? It, it builds up to you being an effective communicator. And so, you know, and, and the communication piece in our business in particular is, is crucial because we're going to be the ones who are advising our clients to either buy properties, or if you're looking to raise capital, you have to be able to convey a message to those individuals and, and tell them a story that aligns with their goals and values. So again, I, I, think, I think what you got to not think about is don't get caught up in all the things that you could possibly do and all the work that's going to come along with that. Just distill it down to the, the top two or three things that you want to do on a daily, daily basis, whether that's 250 words a day, whether that's you know reading 10 pages of a good book, whether that's doing whatever. And, and over time, you know, and this, this has been a seven year journey for me. Um, it, it adds up to massive results. So. Yeah, that's incredible. And I was reading a book on Warren Buffett a few months back and he said, he was talking about, you know, I think he got asked the question, like, you know, should I get my MBA? Should I get my degree in economics? He's like, no, go take a class on communications. And it's saying exactly what you're saying right now, Raphael, how powerful that is just being able to communicate and talk to people and convey. And I love what you just said about, um, when you're talking to investors, telling them a story and, and in my perspective, making them the hero of that story and taking them on this journey. You know, when I view people like you or I, real estate, you know, brokers or investors or whatever, you know, the hero is the investor. I'm just the guy taking them through this jungle and leading them to the other end. It's, it's super powerful, but yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective. Again, something else I just want to highlight, this has been a seven year journey for you, for people listening. I mean, this didn't happen in six months or you didn't wake up uh, one day and seven books were written. So that's incredible. Um, the last question I had for you, Raphael, we asked this to everyone and it's, yeah, it has nothing to do with real estate, but I'm really interested in your perspective on this. If you could solve any problem in the world, what would it be and why? No, I mean, that's very profound. Uh, there's so many problems in this world, but I think a lot of them can be solved by, you know, just just empathy and and caring about other people and not getting caught up in the wrong things, you know, because I think it's very easy for us. And again, we're as ambitious individuals, we all want to achieve success. What that means is maybe, you know, fancy cars, big homes, whatever else. But sometimes we have to step back and realize those are the material things in this world. And really why we're here in, in the first place is I, I really believe we're here for a reason. And that reason is to serve others in whatever capacity that is, whether you're you know, in the commercial real estate business, whether you are in the software business, whatever, you're, you, it, you're, you're, you're here on earth for a reason. And your, your reason is to provide your skills and talents to be able to help others succeed in life. And so you know, if, if we all took that approach and didn't you know, just think, oh, the, these people are different than me, or, or you know, the, the, that's how conflict occurs. And then really what it is, was we're all humans. I've been able to travel all over the world. And you know, I'll be the first one to tell you that you know, you'd be very surprised with how similar we are to people all across the, the world. And so I think if we had a little bit more empathy for others, and not only that, but, but had a commitment to serving others on a regular basis, I think we would be solving a lot of the world's problems. Yeah, in, incredibly powerful and, and such a great response. When I deployed, I deployed to the Middle East in 2020. And I think something that we take for granted here is like we have this idea of poverty and, and poverty is 100% real in this country. And I think it's a you know phenomenal problem for investors to solve as we procure wealth, we can help more people and it is powerful. But you know, when I deployed to the Middle East, I saw poverty to a level that I've never seen before. And it's insane. But I guess that's, that's a big why for me too. It's like, as we procure this wealth and we're, you know, making these communities better by adding value to them and, and making better investments, we can help more people. Um, so that was super powerful. I appreciate your response. 
Today's interview was awesome. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Like I was telling you before, I probably crushed half your podcast just to get ready for this 40 minutes right here. And it was totally worth it. So uh, um, I want people to follow up with you, Raphael. You're an incredible, you know, intelligent human beings out there crushing it. Again, on track to have a record-breaking year. Where can people get a hold of you? How can they find out about your books, your meetups? What platforms are you on? Definitely. Thank you, Jesse. And, and again, I, I really am honored to be on your podcast. And thank you again for your service to this country. It really is important. And, and again, uh, I, I, my family members were all in the armed forces as well. So I definitely know the sacrifices that you make on a day-to-day basis. So again, thank you for that. But as far as getting in contact with me, you can reach out to me via my website at uh, Rafael. Uh, com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, be happy to engage with anyone via there. Uh, and yeah, you can reach out to me via email at Raphael at group.com. Uh, again, I'm very available. I love helping other people. And if I don't know something, I'm happy to put you in contact with someone within my network who does know the answer. So uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. Like I said, I feel like some of these questions were just like, man, I, I can't wait to ask Raphael uh, and get his perspective on this. Like I said, your podcast is phenomenal. I'm going to, um, I've got the compound effect by Dan Hardy written down. I'm going to go crush the Cody Payne episode right after this. So Raphael, I can't thank you enough for coming on World Science. Thanks again, brother. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.